Hello and welcome again to the Persuasion Lab podcast. I'm your host, Moed Amin, and uh, the goal for this show is really to elevate the status and the performance of sales. So we're going to be covering a huge range of topics, more than just your traditional sales topics, such as questioning, you know, pitching, closing, although I hate that term, uh, negotiating, etc. You know, we're talking about the character of the individual because success is more about the person you become rather than just the skills and the knowledge that you acquire. <clears throat> and when we think about the person that you become, there was a book I read recently uh, uh, called Sapiens by Noel uh, Harari. Uh, and in there, he postulates a theory as to why uh, Homo sapiens became the dominant human species. And it was really down to one main characteristic or evolutionary skill, which was communication. And our ability to actually evolve to be able to communicate in complex ways with more accuracy. So you might be thinking, well, what's, what has this got to do with our, our evolution and how does it become dominant? Well, let's take a very simple example. <clears throat> our ability to communicate in order to find desirable things as well as avoid painful things became a very big factor in our survival skills. So if you were able to communicate to the rest of your tribe, hey, you know, if you want something nutritious in terms of food, go to this location and you will find it, but avoid it around this time because there tends to be a tiger there that's looking for its own meal and you don't want to be on its list. So that is a good example of how communication became so powerful that actually it became one of the main reasons for why we became the dominant species. And when it comes to sales, uh, you know, communication is so, so, so important. And our ability to be able to convey things clearly uh, and, and in a way that's compelling and moves people to take action is one of the paramount areas for our success. And that's why today I'm really excited to have uh, the guest on our show today. Now, he is someone that's been um, helping busy professionals communicate with clarity and confidence for the last 20 years. Um, he is someone that uh, actually he trained at the Royal Central School of um, Speech and Drama, and he was an actor for several years. And you might be thinking, what has acting got to do with communication? Actually, one of the things I have done is I've been trained by another actor in terms of improving my communication skills. So we're going to see some of that today. Um, I met him when I joined uh, one of the London chapters for the Toastmasters. Uh, and he was the president at the time. And I was so impressed by his, uh, his skills and knowledge around communication that, you know, really left an impression on me. And I thought, you know, he would be an incredible addition to our show and to help you in terms of your communication, particularly in the virtual forms of communication as well. So I'm very excited to have him on the show. So please help me welcome Richard Fallon. Richard, welcome to the show. Moe, thank you so much. What a, what a grand introduction. <laughs> I better live up to it, hadn't I, I suppose? I'm, I, know, I know you will. So, I mean, that was, that was no false bravado whatsoever. So, yeah, really, really excited to have you on the show. Um, I guess one of the, you know, what was interesting was before we started the recording, we were, we were talking about, you know, what's going on in terms of politics and, and especially the politicians' connections with us and the people who actually vote for them. And we talked about some very interesting things. So for any of you that are not in the UK, um, you know, Boris Johnson lost some key areas in, in the by-elections uh, just today, I believe. Uh, and, and we were talking around, you know, how he is communicating with people and, and the level of trust as well. And you had a very interesting perspective, Richard. Maybe if we can start just sharing that, because I think it's very real for people. Um, to connect with politics and it's, it's an important part of our lives. Yes, I did, didn't I? I just need to remember what that was now, Mo. <laughs> uh, I think it was something along the lines of, uh, and this is not political in the sense it's not pro or contra any particular party or political belief. It's just that people begin to get fatigued if what you say, your message, doesn't correlate with the actions or how they experience the results of those actions. And I believe that's the case now with Mr. Johnson and his party. People are starting to move away because they're, they're hearing messages which are not 
really backed up by their own experience. So there's a kind of inauthenticity about the whole process. Now, let's not fool ourselves for a minute. Uh, Mr. Johnson is expressing perhaps his own opinions when he speaks, but he's also thoroughly advised. So probably, although with him particularly in his communication style, I was going to say not a word leaves his lips without it being okay, but clearly he's, um, he's a bit of his own man in that case and uh, often makes blips and errors. But the point being that when you stand up and say something is going to happen and this is what it is, you need to be squeaky clean and authentic and real. Otherwise, people have got radars, they'll pick up on it. They may not, uh, I believe the, in uh, the colloquial expression is a BS detector. And people are all installed with that from, from the moment we pop into the world and we can, we can feel when something doesn't ring true. So if you're pretending to be something uh, for whatever reason, it's not gonna work ultimately. You may fool one or two people, but it won't work. You won't have a long run at that, I can guarantee you. Yeah, that's so interesting. And you've used, you used the word authenticity a couple of times there. And certainly in my own research around trust and the seven elements of having a trustworthy character, you know, authenticity is number one. It really, everything stems from that. I hate that I have to ask this question, but how should people be more authentic? No, it's a super question. Very interesting. I always think, you know, well, let me perhaps explain a bit from my own experience. When I was younger, significantly younger than I am now, perhaps in my late teens, early 20s, when I first went to drama school, like many young people, I was trying on different caps, thinking, oh, I like that, I'll be more like that. And perhaps it was more exaggerated, that effect at drama school. I don't know why, because you're, you're kind of in the process of being stripped down your personality internally. And, uh, and then put back together again, everything, vocal, voice, everything. And I assumed things that really didn't fit me. And I did them habitually for a while, certain traits of my character. I thought I needed to be like this. And I assumed that such as, I think, I, I mean, you'll find it ridiculous perhaps, but I thought I had to be more, um, you know, sort of more of a man's man. I don't know why. Uh, We'd have to go back in time to find out why. But, but the point is, I was trying to assume something that wasn't me, didn't fit with me. I didn't feel comfortable in my own self, but still I pursued it because the voices in my head told me, you need to be doing this because of X, Y, and Z. Now, I don't think my experience is so strange or unique when I speak to other human beings. We all seem to have done, if, not, if we're not doing it right now, assume a way of being perhaps in the workplace because you think you it'll win you win more friends and influence people or get more money or this that and the other be more popular so it's hard particularly as we live in a society where we're bombarded constantly with messages and never more so now than in the times of social media where the the the, the kind of craziest things are, are perpetrated upon you you know some of the stuff's really good in my opinion but some of it's out there and if you're not solid. I would hate to think of me back when I was young being exposed to all this because I don't know where I'd end up. Um, what I think one needs is a centered root, a connection with yourself, knowing yourself, if you like. And how you achieve that is, well, there are many ways. First of all, I would engage with things that one genuinely enjoys, things that nourish you. Myself, I like dancing. I do Cuban dancing. I've done it for many, many years. And I like gardening, amongst other things. And I make sure I get plenty of those in because they, they root me in myself. They support me. They tell me, hey, you know who you are. These are things you like. This may sound a bit flippant, but once you've connected in that way, you can then carry those out into other areas of your life. We've all met people, I'm sure. And you have a sense sometimes people are not really comfortable in their own skin for whatever reason, without digging deep. I mean, someone once said, you know, be kind to people. You don't know what they're going through. And I agree, you don't. You've no idea at all. But some folk you meet and they are, they feel genuine, for want of a better word, because they're kind of comfortable with themselves to a degree and others not so much. Awkwardly, socially, uh, perhaps speaking very manically, you know, stuff like this, we see it all the time. So the best thing is to connect with yourself and to do that, 
there are various exercises you can do with breathing and centering and all sorts of things like that. But just in a general everyday sense, do things that are good for you, that you enjoy, that nourish you, that help you remind you of who you are, what you care about and be that authentically. I, I love that because so often we are, especially in the day and age with social media and there's just so many, as you said, so many things bombarding us that can influence us um, in ways that can be quite insidious sometimes. We have this pressure to always perform and we're almost being told what's socially acceptable for our high, let's just, just use, use the general to high-performing entrepreneur or high-performing person. You know, a high-performing person may not do gardening, for example, or you don't, you rarely hear that, but, but that, that's something that's true to yourself. So I, I love what you said there around, you know, do something that you enjoy, something that nourishes you. And, and it doesn't have to be within this framework or box of high performance or progress. It could be something that you just simply do because you truly enjoy it. Um, and in, if anything, that should be a form of progress because you are connecting with yourself more deeply. So I love what you what you shared there. And there were some huge connotations around listening almost, almost kind of listening to yourself, but listening to others. I, I wanna touch on this because when most people talk about communication, they forget the other half of communication, which is so powerful, which is listening. Um, could you share something about that? You know, what are your views around listening? How well or how badly is it being done? And how can one become a better listener? And why is it so important? Yeah, to go back to what I was talking about before, about the gardening and listening, you do. Because what happens when you're doing something you enjoy, and it really doesn't matter what it is, it could be crocheting, it could be climbing around Everest. It doesn't, the thing itself doesn't matter. The fact that you are engaged and energized by it is what matters uh, and in that particular state that's your kind of optimum state really for doing what you need to do in your professional life as well obviously with a different focus and different sets of details and what have you but the same state it's exactly the same so when i'm gardening for example when i'm out there with my getting the dirt under my fingernails you connect in detail with what you're doing you notice lots of tiny things you look at the plants you're trying to bring on, how well are they doing, why is that, what have you done? It's a system, a process based on observation, hypothesis, and then uh, putting something into practice and seeing how it works. This is exactly the same as healthy communication. In fact, in fact, it's how we learn. The, the hy hypothesis, you know, taking in information, the brain, for example, with language, the brain then begins to organize it when you're younger, the grammar of it, et cetera, et cetera. And then you test it out. Why a child, for example, would say, yes, mummy, I did it. And the mum will go, ah, yes, you did, didn't you, darling? And the brain goes, oh, wait a minute, she didn't say anything. And starts perhaps changing the, uh, the hypothesis and testing something new. Uh, did, it happens is, this is a man who studied linguistics, is an irregular verb. So it doesn't take the ED ending that many of the regular verbs do, but you can't tell a tiny little one slash two year old that the brain is already organizing that it recognizes things within language and organizes it. So the same is true when you pay attention to people. And I was, I think, postulating earlier that you do this naturally if you're enjoying the conversation you're having. So the first thing is, you do need to, I believe, from my own experience and people I've worked with, you do need to have a switch that turns you on and wakes you up. So you're energized when you're connected with people. This I call, when I work with people, uh, a sort of minimum professional level of energy you bring to any engagement. When you do that, it's the same as if you're if you take an example if you're talking about something you really love something you you're passionate about you really care about perhaps it's the thing we were talking about before we meet gardening or dancing you'll notice that when people do talk about that that their manner of uh, communication often changes quite radically sometimes their eyes open more they lean forward they gesticulate more to emphasize 
They also extraordinarily select very appropriate vocabulary. This is something I discovered through my work and uh, observation. That's available to us if we're tuned in and plugged in. No need, in a sense, to prepare before. This is perhaps a bit controversial. You do prepare, but there's no need to write out precisely what you're going to say. On the contrary, that can often become a prison. In the moment, if you're plugged in and you know your topic, which you do, otherwise why would you be there talking about it, you find the words to describe exactly what it is. And here's the important part to the person you're talking to or the people you're talking to. No good finding the words that are just happen to be right for you. It's got to be for them. And this goes back to listening and watching. Because you then see, for example, as I, as even without my glasses, as I'm watching now, I notice there's nods and uh, I notice there's a kind of neutral, I suppose, I'd call it Moed's listening face. And if there was, uh, you know, if there was a a huge veer away from that, I'd go, oh, okay, something's, I, perhaps I've lost them a bit, perhaps I need to change tack, all unconsciously, pretty much, once you practice it a bit. But we naturally observe people, listen and watch in this way. Often, though, uh, sadly, we judge very quickly. We're quick to judge. I mean, it's a, it's a genetic imperative, in a sense. It comes from the need to protect ourselves. And uh, so we, we see something, we go, oh, it's that. Actually, isn't that as I said earlier you know be kind to people you don't know what they're going through and what you can do though is without judging is just observe and notice how people listen their body posture uh, the vocal qualities they bring you tune in more so not only importantly are you listening to the content of course it's important to listen to that but you're also listening to how they deliver it and it gives you a sense of where they are and gives you many more platforms really in how you respond you know you can perhaps uh, match them if they talk a bit more rapidly and their, their delivery is more paced like that and quite urgent then you might just turn yours up a little bit it's not being false or it's got to be you doing that but then you are much more than just the one you present in a in a professional role you when i said being authentic earlier i mean having access to all of you and bringing it to bear where you need to, as, as the situation demands. So listening is key. Listening silently. You know, watch, listen, and wait. And sometimes, perhaps, if someone's, depending on the context, perhaps it's a potential client, you can say to them at the end, is there, is there anything more about that? You're just kind of checking there's no more water left in it, it's all been poured out. And in those moments, often, they can, they can tell you something quite special, something they forgot. And it could be a key point. And then once you've fully listened, you're then in a position to pick the key elements and respond. It's a fascinating game, really. Man, Richard, there is so much there that you shared that was incredibly valuable. And you talked about, you know, listen, because most people, when you hear listening, they think about listening with their ears. But what you're really talking about is, not just listening with your ears, but you're listening with your eyes, your, your heart, your mind, right? And, and, and listening, and that's how you kind of listen with your whole, your whole self. One thing you talked about earlier was the, the, and I'm looking at my notes here, the minimal professional level of engagement and making sure that you are switched on and energized. Can you talk a bit more about that? Because that sounds hugely interesting. Well, I noticed when I started out after a few years, you have a group of people and some of them straight away strike you and back way back then it was it, there was no we weren't really doing that on video it was all in the room but they catch you just with an intro going around the room and so I thought that's interesting oh let's do a game uh, and I got people afterwards to silently vote on which introduction they most remembered and then we started breaking down why that was and we found really that it was a combination of things. It could have been something humorous, but very often it was about the, the presence the person brought, or if you like the energetic presence, they perhaps wouldn't describe it like that, but I would. It starts really, and this goes back to all the work we did in acting with the voice. The voice needs breath to support it. And if you don't have breath, it needs deep breath. You need to breathe deeply so your diaphragm contracts, pushes down, you fill your lungs. But most people breathe up here. Even a doctor say, take a deep breath in. They mean, 
up here. That's not a deep breath. It's a, it's a very shallow breath. It requires a lot of energy for not much result. So to breathe deeply means you root and ground yourself and have the ability then to deliver an energized vocal presence. So that's one element about it. So that there's a connection between precisely what you want to say and the breath you use to say it. So for example, if you're speaking, you don't drop down at the end. What? You don't drop down at the end. Your breath continues to support your voice right to the end of the point you're making. Whether that's one word, that was actually two, so not a great example, or indeed, you know, to be or not to be, that is the question, you know, whether you're doing a Shakespeare soliloquy, it doesn't matter, but there's a, a correlation between the breath and the message you want to deliver. They work together in tandem. So that's one form, fundamental form of vocal energy. But how do you get people to bring that? I went through three years of doing voice every day, which I hated when I was a teenager, but I'm grateful for retrospectively. And that's not going to work. And often there just isn't time with the, the time I have to work with clients to do that, unless they're long term and I can work more deeply with them. So I noticed also that when people do, as I as I mentioned earlier, when people engage and talk about something they really enjoy, they really care about, they're deeply passionate about, they do all of this stuff anyway. I contrast, I often video people, or, or if we're in a group, they can, they can be each other's feedback. Uh, but someone, for example, let's just use the simple thing of an introduction. People go, it's an introduction. Often the way they're run and organized is a bit humdrum and boring. It's not very uh, originally done in uh, meetings. Oh, well, let's just go around the table, you know, oh, all right, just wake me up when we finished. Um, so people are already battling against um, a scenario where they're encouraged to be bland and grey and boring. But if they are speaking about something they really care about, people animate and bring energy. If they do it, then it's a very easy thing to carry that across. If you make them aware of what they're doing, how they look, how they sound, how they come across, it's a very easy thing to take that across into a professional context. Simple. Now, I just want to be clear, because it's a subtle thing, this. What we've just covered is, yes, if you distinguish, most people are not energized. So what we look at is to get this more energized delivery. But then, of course, that's not the energy is appropriate, but the sort of enthusiasm isn't always. It depends on the context and who you're with. So we've also got to look at how to move between uh, a delivery or a connection that's either more people focused, which this one is, or more business focused. Now, the truth is we, we're on a climb and we move between them depending on the context. But let, let me just give you an example. For example, if I'm just about people, I'd speak like this. Hi, Moeed, it's good to meet you. Listen, blah, 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 that kind of thing. But if it was a very more business-like connection uh, because of the status, because of the the sector you're working in, you know, often uh, the financial law sectors are, can be quite conservative, quite top heavy, uh, male dominated. Yeah, we won't go into that. I was just about to go. It's this is not the place. But the point is this, then I would give a different kind of uh, delivery. I'd say, good morning, Moe. I'm glad you're here. Let's move forward. We've got three points we'd like to discuss. And you can hear that's a completely different delivery. But it's all me. That's me. At that Part of me is not the part I choose to go to often, but if I need to, I do. And some of the clients I work with to win their trust, if I'm working with partners at a law firm or senior civil servants for the government, I need to come in that way. Good afternoon. Because I've got to be credible for them. If I come in and, hey, should we hug? Then it's the, you know, from the get go, that's not a good intro. They don't believe I'm the guy who can do the job they need doing. So, we all need to do that to adapt and blend, but not in a way that we're, we're putting something on. Perhaps initially, as we play around with it, we're putting it on a little bit, but in a way that is authentic and genuine and real. And it's, it's very easily doable, in my experience. Are there any exercises that you typically go through in order to get yourself energized? You talked about breathing, obviously, being that medium by which you can actually express your words. And obviously, the more breath you have, the more you're going to be able to do so. Do you have any exercises that you kind of recommend, like quick exercises that you recommend for people to 
get themselves energized and ready for a communication? You know, if you have to present to a meeting or a room full of people, or even one or two people, we don't really want to see you warming up as you begin the presentation. I mean, if you pay money to go and see a band or a show, a West End show, you don't expect to see them doing a sound check as you walk in. Although some fans would love that. I would personally, if it was one of my favorite, it's more authentic and real, but you know what I mean? You, you've paid your money. So you want to see something from the get go sharp and, and ready for action. So it's best to do that before you begin outside in the loo. It doesn't matter where, first of all, there's lots of stuff you can do, you know, uh, to uh, release the tension that accrues in your shoulders. They're not exercises that are, uh, esoteric and hidden, everybody knows about them. You know, roll your shoulders, sh roll your neck, um, shake out, massage your face, wake it up. Tongue twisters are good for enunciation. Run on the spot, boom. So then, do so you tie up, walk in, and you're calm, but inside you have fire. You know, without going into great detail, uh, just generally anybody can warm themselves up. Then, once you're more experienced, you don't need to do that. I don't do that. I've been doing this for 20 years. If I have to give a speech, I might just stretch my mouth a little bit, particularly if I haven't spoken that morning and then boom, off I go. Because the energy of connection is because Moed, the force is always with me. <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting. And, and, and even that, even though to you, they seem simple, they're actually powerful because you know, if, if, if you're going to exercise or go to the gym, a lot of people will stretch and warm up beforehand. But very few people, from my observation, would stretch or warm up their vocal muscles um, and their energetic uh, disposition and muscles before a meeting, right? So, you know, just doing that before it is extremely, extremely powerful. And I loved what you said, which is you're relaxed, but inside, what was it you said? You've got fire inside. Um, and and, that, and that, that, was, that was really powerful. And, and the other thing that I picked up on, Richard, was um, you, know, you talked about being energetic. You, you talked about a few things. Number one, there was different sides to you, right? You've got the side where you're just talking to people, and then there's another side to you where maybe if you're conversing with a partner in a law firm, you know, accounting or in, in the government or public sector, where do you, maybe this is more philosophical conversation, but how do you, how do you kind of, how do you become aware of the line where different parts to you versus becoming inauthentic? Maybe this is a, maybe too philosophical discussion for this conversation here, but that did pop into my mind because if there are different parts to you, then how do you know whether there are different parts of the authentic you or you've created that other side of you for the purpose of communication and performing? Oh, it's not too philosophical for me, Moet. I think it's uh, wonderful. A, a lot of people, when I work with them, have said and do say, uh, particularly if they, okay, what happens is, stepping back, stepping back to get the big picture, the overview, the macro view, what happens is when we're young, uh, anyone who's got kids or been around kids can see that their imaginations and their sense of who they are it, it's often like quicksilver it moves here and there very quick much more quickly than ours uh, solid old adults who who can't really come on daddy yes I I'm uh, look daddy a shark yes it's it's green no it isn't daddy it's got you know the, the daddy trying to keep up but he can't the kid is too uh, flighty now, what happens in my experience as we get older is, uh, and we go through life's experiences, we start deciding, making choices, conscious or unconscious, on who we are and what we are and how we behave. And often, as we get older and older, that narrows down, narrows, 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 until actually we operate within very narrow boundaries of who we are and what we are, et cetera, et cetera. That changes depending on we're at work or with family or trusted people, but, but basically it's fairly narrow. And yet, the potential is, I suppose, having uh, coming from an acting background where actually the antithesis of that is encouraged. You're exploring who you are and who you could be uh, diversely. In fact, in a sense, apart from the, the technical aspects, what an actor's stock in trade really are, are a, a childlike imagination, being able to move and change and quick, you know. They've hung on to that and developed it into adulthood. But then we all have, in a sense, and many people go into work and 
would say to you, were you privy to their innermost thoughts? Hey, you know what, Richard Murray, this isn't really me. Really, I'm a bungee jumper. I'm a thrill seeker. That's who I really am. I'm not an a boring old accountant. No disrespect, I value the accountants I've worked. But they don't, you wouldn't know that from them because they don't allow themselves access to that when they're doing their accountancy work. All well and good and understandably so. I would say a bit like riding a bike. For example, with language, we are born technically with the ability to speak language. You have the physical things in place and the brain's development kicks in and we start acquiring our language very quickly. It's all, all being equal. It's all pre-designed. However, we are not born with the same equipment with regards riding a bicycle. We learn to do that. We learn it, and at first, if you remember, pretty much everyone rides a bicycle. You fall off, you graze your knees, you cut, but then one day you, you get confident, you take off, what do they call them, little training wheels, the side wheels, and boom, off you go, and you, you ride. And then many years later, someone would say to you, oh, Moid, how, how do you ride a bike? And Moid would probably say, I don't know, I don't know what you mean, you just ride it. Because Moid doesn't remember, and Richard doesn't remember what it took doesn't remember the stages of acquiring that knowledge. However, the ability to ride a bike is no less inauthentic within you than uh, the ability to utilize language because you can quickly assume aspects and they become part of you. I've worked with people, for example, when I've, I've needed them to, you know, you're trying to get them to win over high status people. And I said, you can't go up to them and just go, oh, hi, George, you know, it doesn't work. It has to be, and they go, I'm not like that naturally. Oh, you're not. And what about when, uh, I, you know, little Susan or Johnny are naughty and you say, on the naughty step now. Oh, and suddenly what comes out? You have that element within you. You're human. You have it within you. Beyond the, uh, the cultural and social mores, your ability is there. It's there within you. Perhaps it needs waking up a little bit. So it may feel initially a little inauthentic, but just like riding a bicycle, Imagine a kid riding a bike going, oh, um, daddy, yeah, um, I'm not going to ride the bike anymore. Why not? It just, it's so inauthentic, the experience. It's just not me. Uh, and of course, as I was saying earlier, the older you get, the more inclined you'll be, particularly if, you, if you're, um, you know, for want of a better word, a bit more at the perhaps shy or introvert end of the spectrum within certain contexts. You know, you might. But, but pretty much, I can say... Yeah, pretty much. I'd like to say everyone, but something English in me stops me. Everyone I've worked with uh, transforms and moves and acquires it. It's not fake or inauthentic. It's not um, fake it till you make it. I'm not a big fan of that expression. The idea that assuming something on the outside, because you can assume it and absorb it quickly. And it's not a huge change. It's quick. You know, it's often like changing state. Uh, you feel a bit uh, lethargic, you don't want to go out. You know, you were saying earlier going to the gym or something and you're sitting and maybe the telly's on or what, or more likely the, the phone and you're comfortable and you don't want to get up. But if you can just make that little uh, tiny distance to the front door and out, once, you, you know, if I asked you five minutes later, how do you feel? You'd go, oh, I feel great, you know, I'm energized. And, and uh, I said, do you remember how you feel when you, were, you felt when you were sitting? Uh, not really, because you don't. We, our state changes very, very quickly. And unless we're perhaps suffering something severe in life, which we all do from time to time, we don't tend to hang on to our states. They move, you know, they're very fluid. So you assume, you learn how to speak to the high status person so you can win them over, get them on your side and get what you need. Something that works for both of you, because I find that's the best resolution in most negotiations. You know, in a year, I ask you, oh, how was it? Oh, it's fine. How did you do it? What do you mean, how did I do it? It's just what I do. Oh, really? You know, I remember when, <laughs> I remember when you didn't feel so confident about that, but it's very quick. I've waffled on a bit. I think it's your turn now, Moe. No, 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 not at all. This was, uh, this was hugely interesting. And, and I feel like we could talk about this for hours. And there are, there are two questions that, two main questions that I really want to make sure we cover or cover in the time. One of them is you talked about speaking to high status people and you talked about uh, NLP, I, I heard it from NLP, but matching and mirroring, right? So you're kind of matching the, the, the tone, the, the way in which the person communicates, 
you know, and it's not just the language, it's, it's the pace, the tonality, etc. How, how do you advise people to as quickly and as authentically as possible match, identify the right kind of things that they should be matching and therefore do it? Uh, maybe we can't go into the whole how you can do it. Maybe it's as simple as basically doing something similar and it requires practice, but how can someone quickly identify what it is that they should be mirroring and they should be matching? Well, I think we should, for clarity, we should say uh, that these things and many other things from NLP come from observation of human behavior. It's not something someone, and you're not suggesting that, but just for clarity for our, the audience, it's not something someone's saying, hey, you know, it would be a good idea if. No, people have watched people and seen how they behave. And the mirror and matching thing is, is an element of that. In fact, if you go into a cafe or a pub or a bar or something at a certain time of night where people, perhaps on a Friday evening, and, and just watch, you'll see it happening perfectly naturally because people are, as we were talking about earlier, switched on and engaged and enjoying the conversation. So, you know, if someone's leaning on a table, the other person will be leaning on a table as well. Someone's nodding, the other person will nod. We, it's, a, it's a natural human behavior. It's how, we, it's how we say unconsciously, I am like you and you are like me. That's a, that's, that's a root thing about human interaction. You know, if we were, well, we are primates, but if we were other primates, perhaps uh, if you were the, you know, you were the alpha male, perhaps what I'd try and do as a younger male is try and groom your back or something. So I get with you and I get some status that way. And the, while I'm doing it and making submissive noises and gestures, I look at the other ones going, hey, look where I am, buddy. Uh, so they, they have, a, and that's fascinating as well. And humans do that as well. But, uh, but the key element really in this is that it's a natural set of phenomena that people do because the key to real human connection is commonality that I am like you, you are like me. So it's why, for example, um, uh, culturally, I mean, uh, Americans often, because it's such a huge country, if I meet you and you're American, I am, and we're in London, for example, we might often say, you know, where are you from, where are you from? And then I might say, oh, you know, I've got a cousin who lives in blah, blah. And we're trying to make that commonality connection. Uh, Brits often do it with humour, sort of self-depreciating humour. If we both do it, then we kind of go, oh, yeah, we, we've got that whole British thing going on and there's a connection there. And uh, But culturally, pretty much everyone does it in one way, shape or form, be it formal or informal, but it's there. So this mirror, mirroring and matching is common human behavior. And the reason one does it is because then we, we feel, the other unconsciously feels more connected to you. As to what you do, it is subtle. It's not uh, mimicking, for example, it's very subtle. But again, just as we were talking earlier about listening and I kind of introduced the idea of watching or looking, it's based on that. You won't really need to think, what do I need to mirror or match if you're listening and watching. In fact, you may find yourself doing it quite uh, unconsciously. Uh, so, you know, someone leans in, you lean in a bit. I've seen, I've seen it. I went to an interview once to work uh, at another drama school, I mean, years ago, and, um, and the woman who was interviewing me at a key point in the interview, she was sitting on a chair next to me. She leant back. Now, I know why she did that, because she, she wanted to see whether I would lean back. It was so, we'd been sitting upright and she, at a key point, and she marked, she changed the way she spoke, she leaned back. I have to say, Maureen, I didn't. I didn't choose to uh, follow along. Perhaps I didn't want the job that much. Uh, it, because also it was blatant and unsophisticated, you know, like smashing a custard pie in someone's face. And people use these, you must have been on these, uh, I think dreadful workshops where people get everyone running to the back of the room. They train them and get everyone running to the back of the room because they, you know, you can get a free copy of my 50 pound DVD or set or something like that. And once they've done that, they then know that they can, in their world, that they can sell to them. And what they're usually selling at that stage is often a, another, uh, a weekend instead of half a day, the weekend one. And, you know, and I really don't like that. I don't like it because it, I find it exploitative. 
and disrespectful. Regardless, people might say, well, Richard, they, they want the DV. Okay, they do, fine. But I don't think you're appealing to their best qualities there. You know, and, and for me, that's very important personally. And so I don't utilize those and I don't, I'm talking to you because we're having a chat. I don't utilize those in my work and my training and my coaching. It has to be mutually respectful. So if you can, if you can match, if someone feels a little far away from you, you know, just take a little thing they're doing, watch, you're watching them. Perhaps uh, you notice they're, they're leaning to one side and that's the thing that strikes you most. So lean to one side and just gently and just carry on from there. The other thing is from an acting perspective, that's one way of changing or developing a performance. When I was younger, I had to play old men. I don't need to act now, I am an old man, but uh, you know, and if you stooped over a bit, it started to affect your physiology and then how your voice is produced. And then of course, how you feel, chemistry happens. So when you're enjoying the connection with someone, you do it naturally. So I don't think it's a question to finally fully answer your question. It's not a question of choosing what to do so much as to work on connecting and plugging in to the person. And you'll find that you, you do it naturally, not like the woman in the interview. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, that, that was really interesting. Because, again, you're talking about the connotations, around, not connotations, you're talking about listening with your, your eyes and your other, other sensory faculties, not just, not just your, your ears. Um, and, and there's still that, that thread of authenticity that you keep talking about as well. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. There's one other topic I really want to make sure we cover today. Um, and that is virtual communication. How does that, I mean, there are, of course, there are obvious things as to how it differs from, you know, live communication. But in your view, what are some of the important things that people should remember and, and be aware of? Uh, in order to effectively communicate and, and also create that connection and, and engagement with people through a through a virtual setting. Yes, after you know we've all done loads of that uh, during COVID, and of course uh, some companies have decided when well, it's a good idea, let's keep doing it. It costs less. We don't have to send people over the other side of the world. Well, I think the first thing to remember is that if you're in a meeting anyway, a live meeting, often those meetings, in my experience with respect to those who organize and run them, are not run well. People are not stimulated within them. They get kind of sleepy, they have to fight to stay awake because of the, the form, format. That's a whole other topic. Perhaps we can talk about that another time, how to run successful meetings. But the point being that uh, all this stuff we've been talking about, being energized, switched on, if you've got, I don't know, a couple of minutes to put something in or you wish to raise an objection or you wish to contribute, then best do it fully energized and switched on. And then times that by three for a, a virtual meeting, because this screen, you know, this board of faces, um, interesting that board, although it's a, it's a homonym, isn't it? It sounds the same, but it means something different. But I think it's appropriate because people do get very bored in those, their energy drops down. Again, part of that, if you're running one of these meetings is how can I, how can I engage people in a way? How can I vary their interaction, get them into breakout rooms, bring them back, the group contributes, putting in, utilizing the, uh, the chat function to answer questions as varied as possible so people are moving from one thing to another to keep them doing different things. That's if you're, excuse me, if you're running a meeting. I'm doing a training on Monday, so uh, or Tuesday actually, so I better, I better be good to my word. Uh, and it's true, you have to. And it's much harder to gauge as well the level of interest or connection. When you can hear it, you can get people to vocalize, you can get people to say, but you need to do that, really. And one of the ways you do it is by looking at the little, well, on my Mac, it's a green light. You may have a, other colors are available, but it's, uh, it's where the camera is. If I look at that now, then I'm engaging with you. It appears to you, the viewer, that I'm talking directly to you. But if I look at you, then I'm no longer looking at you as far as you see, I am. So really it's about, you have to up the ante and do it more for your audience. It's very strange and unnatural to talk to a green light. And I can see you, I can still see you peripherally nodding and I, I can sort of see your eyes and get a sense of where you are as I can the other people. But when I'm speaking, that's where I need to be. 
because you know that's the eye contact is super important more even more so perhaps than in um, in a live situation and we said earlier when we were chatting that uh, before we, we started that you know not everyone processes uh, with the eyes but a lot of people do a high percentage of people do prefer eye contact and it it talks about all sorts of things like your your credibility your gravitas your sincerity all those kind of things are judged by that because if I talk like this a little bit and look away immediately I look like a, a shifty criminal I look like a criminal at worst but now I look like a shifty criminal which is even worse so so definitely uh, that's huge um, if you're organizing meetings make sure you've got lots of variety of interaction um, and a system whereby people can interact what do you want them to do do you want them to raise their hands you know put the little the little uh, emoji up there do you want them to free form it you know depending on the situation vary it as long as as far as taking part you know the energizing we said before you go off and do do it twice as much before you sit down and also if you're organizing those meetings lots of breaks break give people comfort breaks and tell them to go away from the computer and go and uh, walk around i know that's not often possible and people say well and they go off and do an email so basically they haven't moved away from the computer and they come back possibly excited by the email or possibly even more drained than they were before it's challenging and i think it's far from ideal it's convenient and works economically particularly if you're a large organization and you're doing business with people in all on all parts of the globe at the same time it has many drawbacks because the magic in human action interaction really happens when we're in the room with each other um have i gone some way to answering your question I don't you know. absolutely have Richard I mean I've taken a ton of notes right so uh you know this was this was incredibly incredibly valuable for me and I'm sure it will be for our viewers and listeners as well um a couple of questions that just quick fire questions that I always ask our guests when they when they join the show um first one is are there any particular experts or authors books that you recommend people should read it doesn't have to do with communication right it could be something that you you've read recently and you found it really valuable and it's something you want to share with with our viewers and listeners you know who, who would they be you know do you have any recommendations i do but i've got the memory of a goldfish so um without going to my bookcase to look off the top of my head i think one woman who is fascinating. She started off working with actors. She's quite old now. Patsy Rodenberg is her name. And she has a number of books, but one of them particularly, I think she calls it Presence. Yes, she does. And it's entirely based on her own work, initially working with actors in theatre and film, but then working with, you know, civilians uh, in all walks of life, observing, developing her theories which are rooted in practice and are excellent. And I think presence really is the, is the kind of crowning, is the crowning glory. So certainly that, I'd, I'd go and have a look and pull some more out, but, uh, but that off the top of my head. And actually, since we're on Rodenberg, it sounds similar, Rosenberg, Marshall Rosenberg, who's not with right. us anymore, may rest in peace. He developed a system, although he was the first to say, hey, there's nothing new here. I've just ordered things a bit called nonviolent communication or NVC, um, which is a system based on communicating via our emotions and beneath those our needs, met or unmet, usually unmet because that's where problems arise and there's difficulties. It's fascinating because it allows you through a bit of practice and thinking about it, observation to hear people not saying what did you do that for but going okay what's that person not getting what do they need they're obviously angry because they're not getting what what are they and then perhaps being able to articulate you know what it is and and translating as it were initially you've got to start with yourself because you you do that all the time but then you can be in a position where you can work and this is so powerful when uh, negotiating particularly because you can hear really what the need is even if it's not being expressed and we are British let's remember we're not very good at expressing what goes on uh, but anyway people aren't used to particularly men in my experience still in the century we live on aren't used to uh, talking about what's going on for them emotionally and secondly certainly have no idea what our needs are 
regardless of all the work that's been done and that, that needs that we're really a needs driven species, you know, as, as, as is everything else in nature, that we, we're driven by what we need. And when we don't get what we need, that's when, you know, the, the problems or the challenges start. So that, that's, he's written a number of books, but he's, I can't remember what the, the sort of root book is, but if you check him out, NVC, Nonviolent Communication, Marshall Rosenberg. That's really yeah. interesting. Mm. It's really life changing. In fact, that's, that's a book that radically, you know, it shifted my life up a few notches, I have to say. It, it really helped me personally. And of course, uh, professionally as well. I, I came across it many, many years ago, but uh, it's, it's good stuff. Yeah, this sounds really good. I'm going to get that. But I haven't, haven't heard of that book before, but certainly will be on my, uh, on my list. How can our viewers and listeners find you and uh, connect with you, learn more about you? Well, of course I would, if I were a normal fella, I have a website, but I haven't had one for many, many years. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm working on getting another one. So the best way to contact me is probably through my LinkedIn profile, um, which is Richard Fallon with a star before R and a star after N, just to make it stand out, Marie. Does it? I don't know. Or they can contact me. My number is 07968738190. WhatsApp me, call me, drop me a line. I'd be more than happy to have a chat. Great. Well, Richard, this has been uh, an incredibly uh, interesting session. I've learned a ton uh, and I'm sure our viewers and listeners have as well. Uh, you know, really pleased that we, uh, we got you on the show. Thank you for, uh, for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Moeda. Genuinely, it's been great. And your probing questions and your, your gentle listening as well. I've really enjoyed it. And if there's something of value there for people, then I'm thrilled. And if there isn't, well, I've enjoyed the experience anyway. But thank you. Thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. And, uh, you know, this is, this is Moed Amin signing off. Uh, and if, uh, if you're interested in learning more about my programs, if you're interested in learning about how to sell like a buyer, you know, I've had the privilege of interviewing 426 buyers so far over the last 15 years across 10 different industries, nine different functional responsibilities and three different seniority levels to really get into the skin of what makes a buyer value a relationship with a salesperson and the solutions that they have to offer. So if you'd like to learn more about that, uh, please do contact me, link below in the comments. But uh, from me, Moe Damin, it's bye for now. Thank you.